Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 344. I have learned, and I share this with people all the time, there, hopefully, there's always more to do. There's always the pile on the desk. There's always something on the to-do list. If you don't have it, then you're out of business or you've passed away. But I think that I, I look at my younger self and how hard I worked and... I didn't take time, enough time off to refresh myself. And now I do. I really know that if I can't go out there and, you know, spirituality is very important to me. And so if I can't go out there and do things that actually re-energize me, I can't be the best here. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hey guys, would you like to know the exact marketing strategy a restaurant owner used to generate over $36,000 in sales from just $400 in Facebook ads? Would you like to know how a bar owner doubled her Tuesday night business in just four weeks for just $50 a week? Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy of the industry's number one selling marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant. Success. This book reveals the step by step marketing plan that created these results so you can apply them in your own business. Get on it. Let me tell you about Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps startups and small businesses like restaurants, cafes, and bars outsource or crowdsource custom graphic, logo, and web design from over 550,000 designers from around the world. Check out designcrowd.com slash unstoppable to receive up to $100 off your first design project or simply enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest mary allen lindman mary you gotta tell me are you feeling unstoppable today i am always (laughs) unstoppable in fact everyone who works here is like please tone it down (laughs) there are days when i i don't come to the office because i know my energy comes in and they're like oh please we no no what else does she have in mind for us today oh man so i've learned i've learned if it's really high energy to maybe give them an hour in the morning before i show up and i'm sure the coffee helps with the energy too just a little we'll we'll learn more about that as we go uh in 1994 mary allen lindman and Alan Spear opened their first coffee by design coffee house in Portland, Maine. 23 years later, what started as a humble coffee house with a part-time barista has grown into a sustainable business that currently employs 60 individuals in its five coffee houses and its sustainably sourced roastery. Uh, their growth is attributed to their fantastic employees, exceptional coffee, and strong underlying belief that what we do can make a difference. Uh, obviously, that doesn't do you complete justice. We're going to learn more about you and what makes you awesome. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, the staff could tell you many things that I say, but the one that speaks to me the most recently and that I have on my bracelet is what is meant to be for you will not pass you by. 
What is meant to be for you will not pass you by. Dive into that. What does that mean to you and your team? I find sometimes, you know, the things that you work the hardest for, and if they don't come easily, let it go and move on. And the things that are meant to happen, I tell everybody, the answers are right in front of us. We just choose sometimes not to see what's right there in front of us. Oh, man. And so the older I get, I've learned to trust what you're meant to do. Sometimes it's staring you in the face. You just have to be open to it. And if it's meant to happen, it flows. Mm. What a good way to get this thing started. And uh, I want to learn more about you and how you got to where you are. But let's kind of just paint a bigger picture about who you are real quick Mm -hmm. and how you view uh, Coffee by Design. You know, when we had the name Coffee by Design, boy, has it lived up to everything we dreamed uh, because we wanted people to know we serve coffee, but the idea of design, the idea of unique, authentic, one of a kind, we feel a world without the arts is a pretty bland world. And so how do we define what that means? And this company has far surpassed any dream we ever imagined that we've learned that you can have a locally owned business. You can have core values of believing in equality for all people and that we are all citizens of this world. And how do we live well on this planet together? And you can make your point and have that message through a cup of coffee. Mm. It's all in a cup of coffee. Awesome. And I love your title as community builder. Um, has that been your title from the very beginning or did you evolve into that title? It, it is not. And I, I'm so honored that, and I should really look at what year a member of our staff who is actually still with us at his wedding reception, we all had name cards and he and his then wife gave us each a title based on how they viewed us. Okay. And that was your title, the community. And that was my title. That's beautiful. Uh, And I love that sense. When I first saw your website and I was learning about you, um, I was like, oh, this is who I'm going to be speaking with. And the title was Community Builder. And I was like, who do they have Mm -hmm. me paired up with? Uh, But then I got to learn more about you and you're the founder and you have this incredible story uh, and you're so humble uh, to to know that it's about community and to know that it's not about you, but everyone around you. And I'm sure that's going to come out into this conversation. Uh, but let's go back. Um, when you first had the vision, Mm -hmm. um, take us to that point where, you know, this all started to come into frame for you. Mm -hmm. I think what's really interesting. And when you look at downtown now, when I tell people envision downtown Congress street, 40% vacancy rate. Okay. It's hard to imagine. We're talking about Portland, Maine, right? We're now. talking Portland, Maine, yeah. the original Portland, as I tell people, <laughs> where it all began. But I, you know, my uh, business partner Alan and I were here in the '80s, and the recession hit Portland pretty hard. And we both were in different prof- professions. He's a landscape architect, environmental planner. I'm a marketing specialist. And you went to school at Brown University. For I went poetry. To, I went to Brown. <laughs> I have a degree in poetry, a very employable skill set. <laughs> um, although I am writing a one-woman show right now, so. All these years later, I will use that skill. But, but it was really an amazing time here to see what was happening, not just in Portland, but in downtowns across America, that the economy really had hit hard and, mm. and our downtowns were really struggling. And, and we made the decision at that time that we, we knew that we were not going to have jobs and we were professionals who really wanted to make a difference. And so it was a flip of the coin 
Heads so or tails. At that time, the difference, you said you, you knew you, you were professionals that wanted to make a difference. What was the difference you mm-hmm. wanted to make? I mean, literally, we wanted to have professions that we actually could do great things. Now, to me at the time, it was interesting because I was in advertising and I really had to question what that meant. And, and it's interesting because that background has really helped me with what I do mm-hmm. now. At the time, I had to really have the light bulb moment of when you work for ad agencies, you never know what type of account you'll be working on. And sometimes you work on accounts that you don't feel very good about. So, but I think that, you know, Alan, through his work with landscape architecture and how do you actually develop land and do it in a thoughtful way. And what he was starting to realize is you don't always get to do those projects. Yeah. I was in marketing and also in the fashion industry. And so really had the opportunity to learn a lot about how did I feel as a person in an industry that, as far as for women, is not necessarily the most positive industry to be in. And then marketing, how can I feel really great about I'm marketing um, a cookie? Yeah. You know, it's it's fun, it's interesting, it's creative. But I think that at the time when we were here in Portland, we really wanted to go to a larger market. We could tell the economy here that our jobs were not necessarily guaranteed. And so we flipped a coin and for some reason we chose it was either going to be Seattle or San Francisco. Okay. Those both seem to have strong economies and the coin landed on Seattle. Okay. And so I tell people for so many reasons that I'm so thankful the coin landed on Seattle. <laughs> Why? Because it was 1989 and the week we moved to Seattle, San Francisco had its major earthquake. Oh, wow. Yeah, it would right. have been a really bad way to, to uh, land in a city. and But we landed in Seattle and... Alan ended up working for a large engineering firm doing landscape architecture. I ended up at an advertising agency. This and was 89, you said he made 89. Okay. So you were there for uh, five years. No, we actually, we were only in Seattle for three. The thing that was interesting that happened during our time there is, you know, again, it just shows right place, right time, something presented to you. Alan became really fascinated with the, the cafe, coffee house culture out okay. there. It was, Starbucks was still very young. And I was head of new business for an advertising agency, and they gave me the challenge of there's something happening in this new, newly phrased specialty coffee industry. Do some research and find a client. Okay. And so, so and so I would bring home all the research of um, Caravelli Coffee, Seattle's Best Coffee, Torfazione Italia. Okay. And ended up winning the Torfazione Italia account, which is an amazing company now owned by Starbucks. Okay. So I didn't get know that part of the story. So um, you were, and Alan were really uh, just kind of engulfed with this coffee culture that was emerging in Seattle at the time. It was. And it was an amazing time to be there. And so we had a chance to observe. And then it was interesting because we had to make a choice. We were there for three years. You know, the term success, I really struggle with. How do you define success? Yeah. Is it financial? Is it what, what does it mean? And, and so we would come back to Portland and saw the economy in our downtown was not recovering. And we would comment to one another, why don't they do something about it? And it started to become who exactly are they? Yeah. Who are the they we keep referring to? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, so I ended up getting the Toro Fazio and Italia account. Alan really got the coffee bug big and was really determined that he was going to launch a new profession. And at the time, we were developing something called Cafe a la carte, which was going to be kiosks inside buildings. And we were going to move back to the East Coast. And the thing that was interesting about it, and again, timing is everything, is that concept was not big here. 
And also when we started talking about, well, what about Portland? Business people we really respected here said, your whole idea of specialty coffee is too sophisticated for the yeah. market. Do you mind if I slam on the brakes real quick? Yeah. Um, so the original concept was a coffee a la carte or a kiosk coffee. And that was what you want to bring to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And that was too sophisticated? Um, the idea of the specialty coffee, the level we wanted was okay. too sophisticated. Okay. The cart or kiosk concept was just not developed really at all here. And and again, there was this whole journey of, well, who are we and what do we want to become? And so after three years, we did decide to move back east. We were told, you can't do this in Portland, Maine. Too sophisticated. Too sophisticated. No <laughs> so, one will support you. And so it ended up being interesting. And so we spent the extra two, almost three years traveling all around New England. And we started in Burlington, Vermont. Okay. Um, I would be the one who would get a job. And then Alan would continue developing the plan since okay. he was so fanatic about the coffee. Um, so we lived in Burlington, Vermont for a year, almost open there, and then felt it wasn't the right market. We moved to Providence, Rhode Island, looked at opening there all the time starting to really flesh out a business plan. And what were what, you looking for? You said you were looking for the right market. What specifically were you looking for? I think you you know you look at things like foot traffic and you you know gee we we were going into office buildings mm-hmm. trying to pitch the idea. Alan, you know, and during snowstorms is going into hospitals. Don't you think you need a kiosk? Wouldn't people love to get a nice latte and and again, all of that and 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 I tell people who are entrepreneurs or whatever you want to call us I don't think you choose it. It chooses you. And every time someone says no, if you give up, then you're not an entrepreneur. Mm. I tell everyone, you say either I'll prove you wrong (laughs) or let me figure out how I get the yes. And there's just something within you that won't take no as an answer. Mm. So I'm curious, after spending years traveling around New England trying to find the right market mm -hmm. uh, for this coffee shop you wanted to Mm -hmm. create, this specialty coffee shop... um, what made you come back home? What was it about Portland that was there all along that, you know, why, why didn't you see it sooner? Like what happened that made you think we just need to go back home? I think, you know, you as people just really need to figure out how, you know, what difference can we make? We had to have that light bulb moment of, wait a minute, we are they. Mm. Uh, I want to dive into this because I feel like that's so key. I know me personally, when, if I ever do open my own place, like I know I need to do it where I'm from because mm-hmm. it's all about home. It's all mm-hmm. about being a part of that community. So mm-hmm. was that a realization mm-hmm. that you had that like, if I'm going to do this, I want to make mm-hmm. an impact in a place I care about? It was. And it was the whole idea of what is a community coffee company? What? How do we define that? And it literally was here we were i think i was living in providence at that point alan had moved back to maine because he was thinking about maybe you know should we be exploring this market and a really good friend of ours david cedroni the artist who we have the huge piece of artwork in our original store it's actually um the cracker jack surprise in our new packaging if you get through the bag of coffee david's (laughs) artwork's inside um, and, and honoring him, David called us and said, there is this great location in the porn district of Portland. It's perfect for you. The porn district. Now, of course, <laughs> known as the arts district, but um, it was the porn district. Okay. And it was one of those things where Alan had started to look and it, it was this amazing light bulb moment of, wait a minute, maybe we do a coffee house mm-hmm. and let's look at this neighborhood. And it was this forgotten gem of a neighborhood and all the artists who used to be in the old port had moved to this part of town. And we started realizing there's, 
there's something happening here. There were other locally owned businesses starting to open. Bella Bella, the mm-hmm. restaurant opened with Jim Ledoux. Drop Me a Line was already there, the, the card store. Um, Terra Firma, the local shoe store. Yeah. Those businesses were already there. And there was all of a sudden this this influx of new ownership that was happening. And so we looked at the location and just knew we were meant to what be there. What was the feeling you were getting, the sense that you were getting, seeing these businesses going mm-hmm. in, looking at the people that were already there? Like what feeling inside did you have that told you this was going to be the right spot? You know, I think part of it is, and I've learned to just trust your gut also. Mm-hmm. You just walk into a space and you just know for whatever reason that space is calling you. And it took us a, quite a bit of convincing of our, our landlord to mm-hmm. rent to us. He had a tenant who had not paid rent for three years, and he was oh, wow. willing to bet on them over, we're willing to pay rent. But here we were, you know, we had some money in savings, a very small bank loan, and we finally convinced him, wouldn't you at least want to have one month's worth of rent? And Alan would keep meeting with him, and again, I was tempting to make sure at least we didn't go through all the savings. But I think there was an energy in that neighborhood and also the state theater, which had been a pornography theater, had just been renovated. And there are nights even when I'll step outside that Congress Street Coffee House at night now and it's buzzing and that was the energy at yeah. that time. There was something going on. And and so we finally did convince the landlord and the neighboring businesses just – there was a sense of community. We yep. used to have our holiday parties together. I mean it was just – here we are, we're these, you know, local businesses and with a couple of people and we work really hard, but we believe in so much in what we're doing and we create a fabric of a community. Yeah. We define who we are as a community. And, and so we did, it was actually pretty amazing when I think about it now, we had a very detailed business plan. We thought we would have 25 customers a day for the first several months and you know, someone's going to really hold me to this one. I, I owe Bob Dylan a huge thank you letter because the day that we opened, it was Alan myself. I was not trained on the espresso machine yet. We had one part-timer, and Bob Dylan, who had not toured for many years, his tickets went on sale at the State Theater the day we opened. Oh, wow. And we had 250 customers. Oh, man. <laughs> and we don't... Alan and I both do not remember that day, but five years later, we did memory notebooks for customers to write memories of our business and customers wrote about the first day. Oh man, that's awesome. That's incredible. And uh, there's a few questions I have before we really dive into the evolution of Coffee by Design. Um, First, you said, you know, what is a community coffee company? Mm -hmm. So what is... Mm -hmm. A community coffee company, in your opinion, you asked that question to yourself. But what what's the answer today? It is, and it's funny because it's it's definitely broadened because we have our local community, which we're deeply entrenched in, and are always looking at what are the issues that we need to make sure that we give voice to. There's some people who think that we're a political business, and I've tried to tell people a couple of things. One is, I'm not going to tell you how to think. But I'm going to raise awareness of issues, and I'll present information. I would just ask that you think for yourself and really make educated choices. And vote. Please vote. (laughs) We have a right here in America. Use your right to vote. I also feel as a business, if you really think about it, everything any business does is political. Where you locate, who you hire, what coffees we offer. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the countries we buy from. I just got back from Burundi. 
you know, this is, these are all choices we make. You know, literally the staff, the makeup of your staff is making a political statement. And so early on when we started really raising awareness about issues or advocating for different causes, someone said that's business suicide. Hmm. You know, you are going to lose customers because you're going to really irritate some people that you're taking a stand on issues. And, and first of all, I let them know just because I'm a small business owner, I, I am an American and I have the right to vote and I have a right to have an opinion. And again, how I present that information I think is important and not shutting people down, but inviting conversation. So what do you but think it, that does by choosing to know your identity mm-hmm. and choosing not to shy away from mm-hmm. your identity, but embrace your identity? Mm-hmm. How has that served you versus mm-hmm. uh, what other people mm-hmm. thought might mm-hmm prohibit or inhibit you from moving forward people know where we stand and also the word i love is authentic Mm. you know i tell people this is what you get when you come to coffee by design we are warts and all we're human we make mistakes we honor our mistakes we speak what we believe Mm -hmm. is right we want to hear your opinion on what you think is right But I think we started to really look at not only how we feel as a company, but the history of coffee houses and the opportunity for conversation. Historically, coffee houses have been this great Mm -hmm. place for people to have conversations and dialogue and discuss issues. When we first opened, probably the hottest issue at the time, um, there were two actually. Our early customers were um, Bosnian refugees. So we really talked about immigration early on, and now it's really come full circle in a big way for us but also AIDS awareness. We were across the street from the AIDS project and people were so afraid of people who had AIDS or were HIV positive. And we felt here's an opportunity for us in letting people know, number one, we started sponsoring um, AIDS project. You know, every event they did, we were a sponsor of. We allowed our name to be attached to things. We made it very clear that people who were HIV positive and had AIDS were welcome in our coffee house. The word that keeps coming to my mind, Mary Allen, is just transparency and true um, just awareness of your identity and who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and what kind of impact did that allow you mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. on your people early on? Yeah, I think the thing that was interesting is people, not everyone embraced it. I mean, we had our core customers, but there were people who didn't embrace it and really thought it was questionable business suicide all the things we heard and yet Alan and I felt so strongly that how do you live well on this planet yeah <laughs> it's funny that's my my daughter's school that's their their theme how do we live well and and we really thought about it is about coffee quality of the coffee but how we serve people how do we spend the money that we bring in you know if eventually there was profit how would we invest that money because we view profit as an investment on the behalf of our staff and customers. Yeah. And so I think that in the early days, it was hard. There were people who were very tough on us. When World AIDS Day first happened and we shrouded artwork for World AIDS Day, um, there were people who really had issues with that. And, and some people would boycott us and thought it was just a marketing thing. And But we've stayed really true to mm-hmm. who we are. And I think that's the feedback I get from customers we have not swayed from that initial core value of we serve our community, 
We support things that we believe in. We believe all people are equal. We think that coffee should be accessible yeah. to as many people as possible. Even being a really high-end specialty product, our margins are much far lower than many other specialty yeah. coffee companies. So first, I just you know what? I'm going to do it because we can because we're in person. I'm going to high-five you. Oh, no. The other thing I love oh, no. about your story is Uh-oh. that um, you saw something that was wrong with your community. And you said to yourself, somebody really needs to do something about this. I think that's a real problem with people today in general is we all look and say, this is wrong. Somebody needs to do something about it. But you, what you did is you chose to do something about it. You chose to take control of your community. You chose to have an impact in your community. And the, the reason why, one of the reasons why I love this industry, there's so many reasons why I love this industry is because you get to really impact your community at a ground level and make change and make a difference. Uh, so thank you for doing thank that. Uh, I love that about your story. And uh, it reminds me about Gandhi's words, right? Like, be the change you want to see in the world. It, it um, is. And it's so funny. I think of the history of our business. I look at all the different issues. And it's not that I saw something wrong or that we saw something wrong. But we saw something that, again, the, what are they doing about it? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it is we again. That's and us. Yeah. That is us. And I think that... I loved it recently. We took a stand on something and did a fundraiser and it's all these years later. And I, I do hope that our staff believe in what we're doing and they join us for a reason. But I had more people come into my office and say, thank you. Yeah. And I'm you know, staff, like, thank you for having the courage. And I thought we have the courage. You're trusting <laughs> that I'm not some insane person out there. Yeah. Taking and, a stand on behalf of all of us. If that's just not like, I could tank a, the ship really easily. <laughs> but I mean, just the proactivity, you know, being proactive, uh, and not choosing to just wait for things, to sh- mm-hmm. for things to change, but mm-hmm. to be the change. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge lesson in that. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that those who, do choose to be the change to have the endurance to keep showing up to to know who they are and to stay true to their values mm-hmm. like you did uh that's what it takes for long-term success uh you're a beautiful example of that 23 years now 23. uh it didn't happen overnight so let's talk about uh what you think you did right from the very beginning that has contributed to your sex your success you mentioned uh core values uh, did you have those written out, your mission, your vision? We, we had a mission statement, and then five years in, we wrote a vision statement. And the vision statement was, um, it was interesting because we we were so excited we'd made five years. And somehow we had it in our heads, if you make it five years, then you're golden. <laughs> Everyone had said, if you survive five years, goal. then you're in business. <laughs> and what we realized is, no, it's now a whole new series of questions. And so we interviewed a number of consultants because at the time we didn't have the incredible entrepreneurial services the state of Maine has now. And, yeah. and so we interviewed consultants and everyone wanted to talk about the, the numbers, the money. What's your financial goal? And it's, it's this, not this it's, is about five this years. Is, this would be, I mean, 99. Okay. And it just didn't speak to us. What didn't speak to you? Like the, what- it's not just about the money. If it's, I mean, obviously we're a for-profit venture. We can't mm-hmm. do what we do if we're not generating income. But how you make that money, the choices you make, and how you spend it, we felt was different for us. And so we finally uh, interviewed someone, and he said, you know, well, of course we're going to talk about numbers, but I want to talk about the mountain climb. Mm. And we're like, okay. Okay. <laughs> and he said, you've climbed up this amazing mountaintop and you're there and it's, you've accomplished more than you imagine, but you see these other mountains <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get over that and you're really tempted. And he said, my job here is to help you determine which ones are definite no's, but which ones I'm really tempted there. 
and to give you the courage to get off the mountain you're on and explore others. And so we wrote a vision statement at the time. It was 1999, and we wrote Vision 2004, and we defined in five years how do we want people to be describing our company. Okay, and how did you want people describing your company back then? And, and, you know, literally it was that um, we would make a difference, that we really felt that, uh, you know, you can change the world one cup of coffee at a time. And where the initial documents that we had talked about us as in just Alan and me, we started referring to we. Mm. And we used the word for profit. Mm-hmm. We were so afraid to to discuss that, yeah, we want to make some money at this. Mm-hmm. Because in making money, we can actually do bigger and greater things. Okay. But I think the vision statement, um, and it was actually funny because we had a staff meeting and we had the B-52 song, The Vision, because <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to introduce the vision. And because if you're not having fun, this is really hard work and you work a lot of hours, but if you're not enjoying what you do, like do something else, Yeah, life is really so, too short. So you want to make a difference. Um, we, what and, was your plan to do that? And the difference, it was a couple of things. Five years in, we had initially not been roasting our own coffee. And so by 90... Eight, we actually did start to roast. And so the Making a Difference, which had started focus on our local community and everything from, I know I'd mentioned AIDS awareness, and then it was mental health issues. It, I mean, it just, I tell people, whatever's going on in our local community, we really embraced it and learned about it. Mental health issues, it was when there was deinstitutionalization of AMHI, and suddenly people who had been institutionalized their whole lives were on the streets of Portland. And all we, all we know is our customer base has slightly changed and, and we want to welcome everyone. That was our whole mantra at the time. Everyone's welcome at the table. Mm. But now we had people that we couldn't quite figure out what had happened, but the behavior was different and we're trying to serve customers. So we, we brought people in, this amazing woman, Claire Harrison from DHHS. And, and I said, I, I want to help empower our staff. I want to empower myself because we want people to be welcome, but there's some disruptive behavior and we don't know how do we handle it. And Claire went to visit. We had a couple of coffee houses at the time and presented to our staff and said, we social service workers owe you an apology because Monday to Friday, we bring our clients here to mainstream them. And on the weekend, we're not working and they come into your coffee house and then they're not quite sure how they're meant to behave and we're expecting you to know what to do. <laughs> and so it was this incredible presentation about you, you can't have two separate sets of rules, whether someone has a mental health diagnosis or they're just someone who's got attitude. There's a standard of behavior. We expect we treat one another with respect, how we communicate our expectations may differ if someone's schizophrenic mm. and if they're off their meds, I used to have a list of everyone's social worker and they, the social worker couldn't acknowledge that it was their client, but I'd be like, just in case you happen to be so-and-so social worker, they seem to be having a manic episode. Um, and we really want them to be here, but you know, tell us how to handle it. And so we had this amazing dynamic going on. And what I love is, you know, this is how many years ago. And I have customers say, I just want to let you know, I saw your staff handle a situation in a brilliant way that it was so respectful of the individual, but made a point of, you know, we need, you know, we can offer help here. You can turn it down, but if the behavior continues, you really do need to leave. Mm. Man, so many great things I want to talk about. Um, But I think when you talk about the community, so for us, the community piece grew because now all of a sudden 
we're roasting coffee and we're sourcing coffee directly from play. You know, at the time you couldn't do as much direct trade as we do now. But all of a sudden, wait a minute, there's this other community we serve. Yeah. And they're in countries that are not wealthy. Yeah. So all of a sudden our, our world grew. Yeah. So how do we serve everyone well? We stay true to our local community and keep identifying what the needs are and sponsoring things that typically were considered high risk at the time. I tell people it's so interesting now, all the things that we were considered high risk or you're, you know, are you out of your mind doing? We've gotten a lot of recognition and awards for now and we don't need the awards, but it's like we stayed true to what we believed was the right thing. And to see now that it's acknowledged is like, yes, it had meaning. What do you think was a key part that enabled you to stay true to what you believed, to what you, you were all about? How, mm-hmm. how did you... Mm-hmm. Stay on that course. Part of it is, again, just that inner voice that just told me I can't. It's harder to be someone you're not than to be true to who you are. How do you not drift from what matters to you 20 years ago? (laughs) Well, we all have those moments. And you know what? The minute you do it, the number of times it's funny, Alan and I with accounts, we tell people you just, again, have to just trust yourself. Every time we would bring on a wholesale account and we would just be like, it just something feels off about this. Mm. But, you know, it seems like a good opportunity and who are we to turn down business? Every time it would end up being a bad situation. We would find that our delivery person would go to deliver and then would be treated badly. Mm. I remember one account, Alan and I were away on a uh, coffee trip and we came back and we had the most amazing um female delivery driver, an amazing representative of our company. You could tell something had happened while we were gone. And and she said, oh, it's not a big deal. And we said, what happened? And this one account that we knew we shouldn't, I mean, our gut said, these people are not going to treat our people well. And they had treated her very badly. Mm. And she said, just, it's not a big deal. And we said, no, this is I don't titles don't matter. Here. What did they do? I'm curious. What, what was they so were just rude, disrespectful. You know, she came in. They treated her as if she was a second class okay. citizen, and and just were demeaning. Mm. And we all know that feeling. It's awful. Oh, you're in food service. You know, when you're in food service, if people yeah. are looking down at you. And we'd always told the people who worked here, we can show that food service is a profession. You have to earn that every day. So how you treat customers, you, you have to earn the respect. Yeah. But you deserve to be treated with respect back. Mm-hmm. And that's what we love about our customers. We have amazing customers. And and so Alan and I ended up calling the client and just asked what had happened. Had, on our end, you know, was there something that had gone wrong? No, no. And they just really lit into how dare you tell us how we should treat someone. And and we said, you know, it, this is probably not going to be a good, good match. Mm. And so... And we people buy equipment from us. And we said, no, no, we'll give you your money back. We'll come and get the equipment. And so there was a blizzard. So in the middle of this blizzard, we're going to get the equipment and pull everything out. But we just thought, you don't, you just don't treat people poorly because you view them as lesser than yeah. you. It, you were all on the, same, the yeah. same level. That's why for years, to be honest with you, we didn't have titles okay. for years. No, I'm, I'm wondering, did you... I mean, what I was 
kind of hoping, and it did come out there, again, that you stick true to your core values. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you write these things down? Do you commit them to writing mm-hmm. it? Or do, like, do you come back to them? Mm-hmm. Do you like talk mm-hmm. us through why, you know, just not just mm-hmm. having the values, but actually mm-hmm. living them every day and reminding yourself of them can be so powerful. I should bring in our job application. <laughs> <laughs> the values are on there. We have a brief mission statement, and then we have these are how we demonstrate it on a daily basis. And then we have on our application staff have to choose one of the values and write about it. And I think what's really important, and and it is actually with our launch of the new branding, we have a new logo after 23 years, which was incredibly frightening, but I feel so charged up about it. It's so reflective of who we are. No, it's amazing, (laughs) the difference. And But we had to grow into that vision. And all of a sudden, we're like, we're there. Yeah. We're here. But I think that it's so the core values are something that actually we're we're going to have posted because I want customers to know too. It'll be on the new website because we refer to the core values a lot and we feel everyone should know what are they. Why and is it, that so important? Who cares? Because I think that you know, I think part of it is customers have a choice too. Yeah. And I've I remember years ago we never used to talk about our philanthropy or, or a lot of the things we do at Origin at Coffee Farms. And a customer came up to me and said I love the coffee. I love the customer service, but my sense is there's something more going on here that you're not talking about. And, and we really, it gave us an opportunity to talk about, we've never wanted to use that piece of the company for marketing. What do you mean that piece of the company? Um, we built a wellness facility in Harding, Columbia. We pay for scholarships for girls on farms in India. We, <laughs> Burundi, I'm doing, I have two projects that I'm developing right now for Burundi. And, for sustainability within our industry there. And I, it really, it's just so near and dear to our heart. And, and how do you use that as a marketing piece? Yeah. And what was interesting was the woman said to me, I need to know that as a consumer because I choose where I spend my money. Yeah. This seals the deal for me. So how did you approach that going from doing something? I totally get what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, I struggle without the mm-hmm. restaurant unstoppable. Like how mm-hmm. can I make money with this thing right. to pay the bills? But at the same time, my mission mm-hmm. isn't to make a bunch mm-hmm. of money. My mission is to serve mm-hmm. people who are trying to do something special in their community. So how do you, how do you walk that mm-hmm. fine line? I, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, it was interesting after um, the woman and I had that conversation, the best thing happened that we didn't have money to do an ad. We wanted to run the way we wanted to do it. And so we're like, darn, we actually are going to have to use pictures from our coffee trips. <laughs> Is that stupid? So now it's just like you're, so, you're telling the story, but not you're just doing it organically. Well, we were just doing, you know, so we, so we put, we, we use one of our photos from Panama. We were part of this best of Panama coffee international jury. Mm-hmm. And we use one of the, my favorite photos in the world. And we just had open your eyes, open your mind, open your heart, coffee by design. And things just exploded. Wow. Why? Because it touched people here. What mm. we were saying, no, it's near and dear to our heart and we're going to keep it here because we don't want to use it for marketing. What we had misjudged, and we've learned this as a company, sometimes we misjudge our yeah. customer. It touched them in a very deep way too. No, you mentioned something earlier um, that your advertising background, your marketing background really helped. So as somebody who had that marketing, that advertising background, um, what was going through your mind as far as like this wouldn't help letting people know about our extracurricular activities? It's really, I don't want to say the easy, it's simpler to market someone else's product Yeah, when it's your own, you're so close to it. Mm. 
And so for me, I didn't, I, but I did it. The world blew open. The moment we ran yeah. that ad, everything shifted. And we're like, of course we should be telling the story because part of our commitment to the farmers we buy from is we're going to tell their story. Yeah. Um, man, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. We're already at almost 45 minutes into this talk. Um, I want to ask you or man, so many options, so many great things. I've, you know, I told you there's so many <laughs> amazing, amazing stories. And I think that again, the thing that is so important to me for people is find something you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, one thing that really stood out to me, um, was that when you talked about growth, when you got to that five year mark, a lot of people, I think they get in trouble at this point because they lose sight of what really mattered in the first place, mm -hmm. what that special mojo was, what that's what their soul was. Mm -hmm. And they try to do all these extra things and it dilutes mm -hmm. whatever made them special in their mm -hmm. first place. Um, but what was really interesting about your story is when you chose to grow, you grow, you, you went deeper instead of further out. Mm -hmm. You chose to have a, deeper impact on your community and to make more of it an impact on the lives of people. Uh, talk us through that and why growth isn't necessarily how much of a reach you have, but how much of an impact you have. I think there are two things. We went deeper, but we also learned to say no. Ooh, and why is, is that so And important? I think what's really important is we saw other businesses. We had opportunities to grow so much faster than we have. And we saw other businesses do it. Fresh Samantha. Okay. So talk us Our beloved that. Fresh Samantha. Um, Fresh Samantha um, had one of the best teams in the world, one of the best products, main company. We were so envious of Fresh Samantha because the loyalty of their staff, the passion all their staff had. And Fresh Samantha grew like crazy, and now all of a sudden they were going to be national. And, and you would hear what their sales numbers were. But then Alan and I know our numbers really well. And we kept thinking, what's the debt it takes to actually make that happen? Yeah. And something's not measuring up here. You can't grow that quickly. And ultimately, in order to support the debt, they sold to Adwala. Okay. And Adwala now is owned by Coca-Cola. And, and I, first of all, thank you, Fresh Samantha. You were an amazing company and you inspired us. And what it made us realize is be thoughtful in your growth. And what point is it in bringing on at the time when we started to grow our wholesale business? What point, how does it help us if we bring on an account that it's too large for us to handle well? Mm. So all of a sudden we're not going to serve them well because we're stretched and we don't mind stretching some. We have an amazing team who are willing to stretch, but you can only be so stretched for so long before you start to lose really good people yeah. and you start to make mistakes and we make mistakes anyhow, but you start to make a lot of them. And so we learned to say to accounts, we would love to have you, but there's some infrastructure we need to have in place first to be able to handle your account in a way that we really are going to be proud about. And you're going to be happy working with us. Give us a year. Yeah. The thing that shocked me is the accounts who are on board with us now. We have one account, th three times they approached us, and each time we were at a, in a holding pattern for new accounts. And they, they, they kept, you know, they went with other coffee companies, yeah. but the moment we had space, they brought yeah. us on board. And so I think that having the courage to say no, either because we don't have the infrastructure in place, give us a chance to get it in place, or the growth is just too fast. We had a chance to double in size in, uh, it was around 99, 2000. We had an opportunity to go into the Boston market in a really big way and would have doubled in a year. It was too fast. 
we just felt we in infrastructure and we as our team, we will lose really good people if we grow that quickly. So what do you lose exactly when you choose mm-hmm. to when you choose growth mm-hmm. over impact? What are mm-hmm. you losing? I think part of it is we live in Maine for a reason and suddenly you don't have time to enjoy that you live in Maine. It's something we're very conscious of now. I mean, our mm-hmm. roastery team work really long hours, um, but they are Monday to Friday and they get their weekends off. Mm. We've had discussions about, do we have to expand to weekends? Do we have to add a second shift? We're working really hard to see how can we be more efficient so we have the same people or maybe add one more, but we're not adding on extra shifts so you, or weekend hours. You weren't willing to risk your people over the potential earning. It, it is. And, and it's, you know, do we have turnover? We're food service. We do. But do I have Ginny who does customer service for the roaster who's been with us? I really have to look. 18 or 19 years. She started yeah. as a barista became a shift lead, retail manager, switched to production. She created this job. Yeah. You know, listening to you talk reminds me of a saying that's, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it exactly correctly, mm-hmm. but every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Uh, and really be conscious of what you're agreeing to mm-hmm. and what it's going to make you have to say no to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so, so powerful. And, mm-hmm. um, Anything else on this topic before we move on? No, I just think that with growth, again, be thoughtful about your growth. You know, I love that book, you know, Bo Burlingham's book. We we want to be a great business. Small giants. The, the small giant. I don't, our goal never is to be huge. And actually people will say, well, you're actually quite large now. How do you define what's big? And this building actually has really helped us finally visualize what big is because we we bought this building and that's a whole crazy story of how, you know, this was a huge personal journey and we would have been fine where we were, but we would have been, we couldn't grow anymore. And this was the only building on the peninsula where you can roast. (laughs) And we wanted, we promised our staff we were going to stay on the peninsula because our staff, at least as long as they can live in downtown, which is changing. Um, but it, you know, we own both sides of the building Okay. and we've said, if we ever outgrow this building, that's too big. Okay, man. So many just great lessons that, uh, man, I'm looking at the clock mm-hmm. that we got to move on. And mm-hmm. what do you think is the key to, um, to growth without losing your soul, without mm-hmm. losing your mojo, like they talk mm-hmm. about in small giants, like what things mm-hmm. did you put in place that enabled mm-hmm. you to grow and not maybe lose your head because there was only two of you, two owners, you and Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, what things did you change about your business that enabled mm-hmm. growth and enabled you to be in different places? Bring great people in. And and I tell you, we, we drive everyone crazy. We beat things to death before we actually either buy a new building or bring in a key person mm-hmm. because we want to make sure we have never had to lay people off. We have never had to cut hours. How do we, you, how do you bring great people? I mean, that's, yeah, obviously like that's, we all want to bring great people in, but how do you do that? It's, you know, I think the thing that's been fascinating to me is again, I think we've been so consistent in how we've run the company. I mean, Dylan, our head of production, head of coffee, I I joke with him about it. He's been with us 10 years now. And I remember the day he landed on our doorstep at Washington Avenue during a rainstorm. You know, he 
had driven up here from um, New York. He had been in coffee for 10 years. He and his girlfriend really wanted to move to Maine. He really wanted to roast coffee. He'd been working for a coffee company for 10 years doing uh, retail. We told him we didn't have a position in production, but if he wanted to join us in retail, he was willing to step in as a barista. Very quickly, there was a management position open. Um, and then there was a production position that opened up and he was willing to take a cut in pay to go into production. And at the time, Alan was the roaster and Dylan had to prove himself. We were not going to just throw anyone in there and, and Dylan did production and then he started doing sample roasting and then he started to apprentice with Alan. And now Dylan, you know, Alan does, is in charge technically still of the roastery is significant in the buying, the vision for the roastery, the technical guts of it. But Dylan runs that facility and travels. He's going to Brazil next week, provided his visa arrives. Mary Ellen. We're waiting for a visa. Why did Dylan choose you? Well, I could, you know, you'll have to ask him that. You know, it's actually funny. I, Dylan and I are very different. Well, Alan and I are very different. And I think that that's actually sort of the magic, yeah. too. People laugh. They're like, you and Alan, how do you work together as business partners? You couldn't be more different. And I said, that's the magic. Yeah. So what, what part does, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting mm-hmm. Alan yet. So what does he bring to the table? You know, Alan is, I mean, we joke about it. He's, um, he's the technical guy and I'm the heart and soul. Okay. And so you have your lanes. You, we you have see. our lanes, but it's interesting. People will sometimes misjudge then. Oh, she doesn't know about coffee then. She's the, she knows the touchy feely stuff or Alan. Oh, he doesn't know how to make lattes and, and they misjudge us. I've actually brought in a couple of really amazing coffees from my travels lately. Okay. And Alan can make an incredible latte, but I think that we, you know, work to your strengths. I've learned that. Work to your strengths. So what are your strengths? I'm a really good people person. I uh, People tell me I'm a connector. Mm-hmm. I'm good at connecting dots. So in our community involvement, I'll see, well, there's this that's going on, but they yeah. should be meeting with this, and Coffee by Design can bring these two together. Yeah. And I am a community person. I will bring people you know we're not perfect as a company as we have growing pains i can tell you we have growing pains now and recently everyone was laughing we had a senior management meeting which is very new for us to have these senior manager (laughs) meetings and uh we had the agenda and i just felt like everyone was stressed and and not communicating well and they were stunned i came in and i said this is the the agenda means nothing right now (laughs) I said, we all have got to be communicating to each other. And I sense that there is tension and people are stretched and stressed. And and I'm going to put it out there. If we can't talk to each other about what's going on, how can we lead the staff here? Yeah. How can we do the work we're meant to do? And it was really interesting. And so there was this whole like craziness thing that happened during the meeting. And, and I walked out. I've never walked out of a meeting and I realized it was the most powerful thing I could do because I left and someone texted me, everyone's talking to each other right now. <laughs> they were so stunned. And I've realized sometimes you need to just blow things up to build them back together. There are really good people here. Yeah. But to say that there aren't growing pains. So what are your growing pains right now? Um, we'd love to say yes to all these amazing <laughs> events, and I'd like to sponsor everything that is meaning to me. Yeah. And th- I, there are just so many things I'd like to say yes to, but 
I don't have unlimited pockets. Mm. And I always have to remember, you know, we can give deeply, but if you don't take care of yourself, that I love that idea of when you're on an airplane, we all listen to putting the, the oxygen mask yep, on first yep. and then taking care of others. If I don't financially make sure that the people here are taken care of, we can't take care of our community. Yeah. And it's very challenging in these times of housing prices skyrocketing and you know we're trying to raise wages here and we have an incredible benefits package and having people know that we've got an incredible health insurance plan and it costs us money folks so we've got to be efficient in how we ra- how we make money yeah so how do you choose so, it's hard i think that i have uh i have people who we have supported for years as far as organizations and i now do an annual review to make sure are, is our money well invested? Mm. People joke a lot, and I actually do it on my personal Facebook page. I don't do it on Coffee by Designs. I started something called 52 Things five years ago. When I turned 52, I started really looking at people's perception of women in their 50s, and I thought, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and um, still have got some, you know, something in me. And so I started a personal journey that really has fueled the business as well as me personally. And it was um, do 52 things that I forgot I used to love to do that I want to do again. Things that I thought were stupid to do, but try them once because you might find you enjoy them. I just rappelled down one city center for a fundraiser. What the heck was that about? (laughs) I had so much fun and raised money for Ripple Effect. You know, uh, and then it was just literally being be engaged in what you're involved in. And we sponsor a lot of events and I, I wasn't going to the events. And what I realized is it's, it's really great that our logo's on a poster, but for some reason having someone from our company actually show up at the event has meant a great deal to people. And it's given me the chance to, I would say 99.9% of the organizations or events we sponsor having me say, yes, we are supposed to be here. And so what I've done is reinvested in the things that we have for years, Um, you know, Equality Maine, and I'm the co-founder of Portland by Local, and I called organizations in that I think are doing amazing work and just said, let's really talk about the financial commitment that you can count on moving forward. I looked at other organizations and felt, you know, I need to see more of, Really, what is the impact? And our investment in you is our marketing. Most of our marketing money is in sponsorships and in, in financial gifts. I mean, but I've heard that you know, market as far as marketing, it's it's investing back into your people, back into your community. If you use your marketing dollars for that and actually mm-hmm. just developing community, that's the best form of marketing you can do. Whether it that is. be in house developing and your mm-hmm. your people that work for you, training them, educating mm-hmm. them, or your just most immediate community, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm that's what matters. And if you take care of others, you give to others, they will give back to you. Um, and this has been a great conversation mm-hmm. up to this point. And man, I can't believe it's already been almost an hour. It's going to have to be a real true mm-hmm. speed round. But before we get to that speed round, just land like one or two things on us like that you know to be true that has contributed to your success that my listeners can take and apply mm-hmm. to their lives. What would it be? Don't be afraid to be you. I love it. It's as simple as that. There are times when I think people think there's the crazy lady from Coffee by Design and you know what? I own that crazy person Mm -hmm. and because my heart and soul is in this business. So don't be afraid to be you. But the the other part that is vitally important, uh, 
know your numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go bankrupt really quickly if you don't know your numbers. Where did you learn your numbers? It's, you know, for someone with a degree in poetry, I learned, I mean, I had worked in advertising. I had budgets, but I'll tell you, Alan and I here, we learned, and Alan is much more fluent in spreadsheets than I am, but I've learned to know my numbers and where in the early days I was really uncomfortable with them. Now I realize in numbers, in money, there's power to do the things you want to do. But it also determines your growth. Some, you know, when you know the numbers, you know what you can handle, what you can't Mm -hmm. handle and you can make much better decisions and grow slowly, grow right. It is uh, in very valuable Mm -hmm. lesson there. And, uh, I usually, before we go to the speed round, I ask to share a failure. So can you think of a quick failure that you experienced in this 23 years? Uh, Which one of the many? <laughs> Let's think about those failures. You know, it's interesting, the conversation today with the managers, we used to own a location on Monument Square. And um, and people were, today, I mean, here, I mean, I don't, how many years ago did we, we sell it? And I don't view that as a failure. It was my biggest learning moment. But we had in our mission statement that we were a neighborhood coffee house. And and at the time, that's more of the business district of Portland. It was a really different yeah. part of town for us. And, and I have to say where we didn't fail is we actually had a great coffee house there. But if I feel there was a failure is I, we did feel that we should Go. let someone else carry on the mission and it didn't have to be coffee by design you start to realize you don't have to own everything someone else can do a really great job and um and so the the failure in that was for me at least is not embracing letting go it took me a long time to not feel like i'd given a child away so you developed the the concept under your brand Mm -hmm. uh it wasn't aligned with your mission statement and then you gave you you sold that we actually sold it we experimented we had had so many people interested in coffee by design franchises and so we actually sold it as a licensed coffee by design store and it lasted all of maybe three months oh really and um to see how someone would take what our vision was and completely shift it was really interesting and so you know and again, we were lucky. They put it up for sale. We bought it back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that that was a really that was a really hard lesson. Um, but out of I don't even want to present it as a negative because there was so much growth and learning from yep, it. Absolutely. But again, I think that's where being an entrepreneur, the number of times you get knocked down, it's a matter of what do you learn from that moment mm-hmm. and do you get back up. Awesome. I love it. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Yo, guys, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a restaurant or bar owner who wants to be a better leader, who wants to make more money, who wants to be more successful, who wants to work smarter, not harder, and you just want to be great, which means you know you can never stop educating yourself. If that sounds like you and you want to learn how to attract more new customers and get a competitive edge over your competition, sounds pretty good, right? Then you need to listen to this message. You got to listen. Just ready for it? Here it is. Leading industry expert. Nick Fosberg and past guest of Restaurant Unstoppable wrote what I believe to be the best how-to book on attracting new customers and creating highly profitable promotions on a shoestring budget. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, he's going to give you this book not for $30 on Amazon, but you're getting it for free. Yeah, free. Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy. Again, that's freebrsbook.com. Get your free copy while supplies last. 
As you know, I don't promote or recommend any products or services my guests haven't first recommended or that I haven't used myself. Well, when I needed a new logo for Restaurant Unstoppable, I chose Design Crowd. I got to admit, it was a great experience too. Here's what I did. I visited designcrowd.com where I posted a brief description of what I was looking for in my logo. Design Crowd then invited over 550,000 designers to get to work on my project. A few hours after submitting my project, I began to receive a flood of designs from around the world, about 90 designs to choose from altogether. All it took was a small investment of $400. Not only was the experience inexpensive and easy, the designers were willing and ready to make the slightest adjustments at my request. To get up to $100 off your first project, head over to designcrowd.com slash unstoppable or enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor habit a trait a characteristic or characteristics you believe most contribute to your success? Joy. Mm, I love it. I'm a very joyful person. We're a joyful company and every day embrace life. How lucky are we? How do you flip that switch? To have joy? Yeah. I'll, I remind myself of when I go on coffee trips mm. and how happy the people are with nothing. Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? I tend to give away more than I should. <laughs> Alan will be happy to hear that. He's in Colombia right now. He'll be like, she admitted it. She gives away the business. I do. I am. Um, I, I, I was raised that those who much is given much is to be expected. Yeah. And I, I have had to learn if you give it all away, you have nothing left to give. And that's true of money, energy, resources, all of it. Would you say sometimes your weaknesses are also your strengths? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm best known for. <laughs> uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? You are not their parent. I've had to learn that as I've gotten older and I easily could be someone's mother. Mm. And I have staff I've become very close to. And I love you unconditionally, but the difference is... I am your employer and there are expectations I have mm. and I'll give you every opportunity to succeed, but I will let you go mm. if you don't, if you don't honor a commitment we've made to one another. Yeah. Good advice. And, uh, what is one question or thing you look for during the interview process or question you ask? You know, right now with the opportunity to go on the web and research our company, do you know anything about our business? <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed and I don't do a lot of the interviewing now. Our general manager does and our managers are being really brought in to do more of it. I do orientation with all new hires. Hmm. And it's really frustrating when you're sitting down with someone and it's really easy to find information out about our company and they know nothing. Yeah. So you do all the your, your in-house training? You're behind the training? I do orientation. So when new hires come on board, lucky new hires <laughs> What's get the... me. We're a little behind right now in the orientation. So I tell them history of the company, our philosophy. But there's there are two things, two questions they get asked when we start. What sign of the Zodiac are you? Because I've learned too many Pisces is not a good thing. <laughs> and I'm a Pisces, so I can say that. We get too touchy-feely. 
And people laugh about it, but I tell you, there are character traits, which is interesting. And then the other is, tell me the first live concert you went to. Who were you with and how did it make you feel? Hmm. And out of that, because everyone has this look on their face and they get really into talking about it. And uh, and they get this great feeling of that that first time I heard a, you know, a rock band <laughs> or whatever they saw. And the cool thing about it is when I tell them to capture that feeling, make our customers feel that way every day. Ooh, I like it. Beautiful. Uh, what do you think about Leo's? About Leo's? Oh, <laughs> no, no. Uh-oh. Not enough Leo's here, actually. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll work on that. I'm telling Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> work on the Leo's. Uh, all right. And what is a current challenge right now? Communication within the company and to our greater community. It's as much as you email people. As I said to someone, tell me how to communicate internally. If I need to learn how to tweet, I'm not a tweeter, but if I need to tweet to get you information, I'll tweet. Mm. It's really hard. People have busy lives. Making sure that people on a regular basis know everything that's going on within a company that has so many working parts to it. Have you heard of Slack? Ooh, we can talk afterwards. <laughs> okay, I like this. It's a communication platform. Okay. Uh, I think it might be free to start, too. Okay, great. We'll talk later. Uh, so how are you overcoming that? I'm curious, the, the communication challenge. How are you overcoming it? It is. I mean, we're starting to really bring, you know, having senior management meetings to make sure I'm hearing what they're working on and how can we all help each other, making sure that it pushes down to the managers, that they're communicating to their teams. Read the memos. When the memos come out, we try not to memo you to death, but it's really important to read the mm-hmm. memos. And so we actually are starting to require people initial again. Mm-hmm. Because how cool. I mean, we've had, we had someone from Guatemala, one of our coffee girls from Guatemala, show up here last minute and do this incredible presentation. But if you don't read the email that went out saying, hey, guys, yeah. Olga is here, who you've all heard about for years, you're going to miss the presentation. Yeah, I hear you. It's going to be tough. Um, so besides food and coffee, what is one thing you do really well that separates you from other coffee shops? And oh, our coffee shop. I thought you meant me personally. I got, a, I was like, <laughs> wow, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I'm a really bad salsa dancer. I'm learning. Um, but I'm trying really hard. You know, I think part of it is the whole idea of everyone is welcome at the table. Our industry is so it's so amazing what's going on in our industry now. So many opportunity. It's such a complex industry. But what I have not liked about it is I think it's become very elitist in certain ways. Yeah. And as a company, we have had this really balancing act of how do we let people know? Of course we know about coffee siphons and all this stuff. But there's that customer who has been with us since the beginning, the people in Maine who step through the door how do we make sure they know you are still welcome here? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious because uh, it was a question that I, I thought about asking earlier. Um, and, you know, coffee's changed a lot in the 23 years mm-hmm. you've been open with third wave coffee, I think. The third correct, wave. Yeah, so new wave. What, what, what do you it's call called it? third wave. Third wave, yeah. Um, how are you staying true to your brand mm-hmm. yet evolving to stay mm-hmm. kind of cutting edge mm-hmm. with – uh, being like a forward-thinking mm-hmm. coffee house because that's what mm-hmm. you started as forward-thinking mm-hmm. coffee, specialty coffee. Mm-hmm. Have you adopted these mm-hmm. new uh, fads, mm-hmm. or are you? It's it's you know it was really interesting, and I really I 
it was actually a very painful few years because we were being called called the old guys. Yeah. They don't really know what they're doing because they're the old guys. And so I did. I'm having a T-shirt made. This is what old looks like. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and I think what was interesting, I have a really good friend who I would view as a real third waiver. He has a coffee house in, yeah. in Hartford, Connecticut. And I kept ranting about the third wave. They just they don't like us and they think that we don't know what we're doing, but we're we're traveling and we're at these countries and we know our coffee. And yeah. And so he he read this def, he read this description from Wikipedia and it was about you know artisan roasting and travel to origin and he just read this whole description and I said he said is that you and I said of course that's us he said that's the Wikipedia definition for third wave <laughs> he said the issue is you were around before it was named mm. feel good about you were part of a group of companies that started something that the rest of us wanted to get on board with. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Cool. Um, so what is one book that would make us better business owners or people in general that we could read today? Um, it's hard to find, but Paul Hawken, who most people will know for his sustainability, um, wrote a really amazing book, which was inspirational to us in the early days called Growing a Business. Growing a Business? Growing a Business. And it was actually a PBS series that came out of it. And when Alan and I first were thinking about the business, Growing a business was Paul Hawken identifying some businesses doing what he perceived as business differently. And at the time, there was not the phrase social responsibility. And so the businesses that he identified that were not that well known at the time were Ben and Jerry's, Patagonia. Mm. It's a brilliant book. And what we loved about it is the people who actually had the least amount of money tended to do the best. Wow. And that book is on Audible as well. So um, you can head over to the show notes, episode 344. You'll find the link right there or, or head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you haven't already signed up for Audible, you can get that book for free. Uh, audiobooks have changed my life. I don't know about you, Great. but I love audiobooks. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a tangible person, yeah. which again drives everyone crazy. See, if I really like a book. I have a day timer. <laughs> I mean, it's. I'll, I'll buy the hard copy and I'll listen to it. Um, and I'll make the notes in the really? hard copy and I'll have it like on a quick, like on my shelf. But I'm starting to think in my car since I spend so much time in the car that I need to, but I also have a 12 year old. Oh, and so what's difficult. There's a demand for what should be played. <laughs> Anything that. DJ mom up I front. Like, well, no, come on, mom. Suppose <laughs> we were there hip hop in the other night. Mom, stay in the back. I'm in the mosh pit. You go back. Go back. Um, uh, I have awesome. a cool kid. <laughs> uh, what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that has had a huge influence on operations in general? Oh, boy. Well, there, I would say there are two, if okay. I may. One is our, our roasters. Okay. I mean, the Loring roasters in our industry are significant. They're not inexpensive, but they are transformational okay. on a couple of levels. One is we were reaching a point with our old roasters that uh, because of the volume we were roasting, we were going to have to get afterburners. And people think afterburners are great because, wow, you don't smell it, you don't see smoke, but what you're using to fuel it is not kind to our environment yeah. and Loring, which is a fairly, still a fairly young company on the West coast built smokeless roasters. And so just from an environmental standpoint, what these roasters do, they also are old roasters, a byproduct of roasting. There's something called silver skin and it creates this amazing chaff that's okay. incredible for compost. And we couldn't collect it easily. The Loring's actually 
collect it in a drum. And so the permaculture hub down the road gets all their composting yeah. from us. And you sell that to the pig farmers We don't sell it. Too, right? We give no, it to them. The pig farmers? We just give it to them. Oh, that's awesome. It's a gift. So, Beautiful. Um, so that has been huge. Plus there are also, there's a computer component so that we can uh, make sure that the roasters with every coffee, there are different marks that they need to make. We make sure that our marks are being met. Um, for the, the coffee houses and just overall reporting, uh, we we literally finally went to a square system and it's hard because with a business our size, our loyalty program does not easily translate to what square could do. And so we had to revamp our entire loyalty program and that's a significant change for customers. And we want to be very thoughtful in change. We didn't want people to lose something in order for us to have an easier system. So the second technology was moving over to square. It was going to square. We, um, we were a Mac company forever we're very loyal Mac people, and yet we needed a, a system that was different than our old-fashioned world yeah. <laughs> cash registers that we used for a long time. And so we did convert to a system that was for our industry, and the problem was we had to then become PC for the mm. uh, the retail stores. And the, it, the system never really communicated, so a customer would go to Congress Street, put $50 on a card, but they would then go to India Street later that day, and it hadn't transmitted oh. yet. There were all sorts of glitches with it. Plus, the system would just crash so frequently. And so we really had to wait until Square had a platform that could in some ways honor our loyalty program. Okay. Uh, and it was it took a long time. Yeah. And which, which loyalty program are you using in conjunction with So Square? we actually, I'll have to see what we finally landed on because we had to keep tweaking it. And even right now, it's interesting. We had to change how even all of our transactions are processed. So we use something called Shogo, which is very new for us because we weren't even getting the types of reports. Square, you get reports, but they were really hard for us to really comb through. I'd get my daily reports and I'd it's really important that we have a snapshot of what's going on on a daily basis. With Shogo, it's amazing. I actually get a spreadsheet. And, and Shogo is for the loyalty or what information? No, is Shogo that? is separate. It's literally sales versus prior year okay. and percentages. And like we're always interested in, you know, how are we during versus prior year and what percentage of people are buying prepared beverages and how many people are buying our coffee. We have amazing coffee. And if our bulk sales go down, then wow, what are we not doing right? Because yeah. we have incredible coffee. And and when we open a location of our own near another location, yeah. okay, are we hurting that location? I mean, that was when we opened this location. Washington Avenue, of course, was impacted. Yeah, and Shogo helps you look at that data. To so see. Shogo is very new for us that I can actually own and I can get a much better snapshot of just awesome. our overall sales on a daily basis. Is that basis. a plug-in to, or an add-on to the Square platform, or how does that work? I'll have to see how it's... I mean, Nathan is our IT guy. We actually, okay. finally, that was a huge step for us. We have a full-time trainer and IT guy now. So literally, we just switched over to Shogo, so he's not had a chance to update me. Alan will do most of the technology piece of things and then I'm the one who's like yeah this report is really helpful to me cool thanks for the information and uh, we're almost done we're got a couple more questions we'll wrap it up but uh, with all the knowledge you have now if you go back in time and uh, just give yourself one piece of advice what would that piece of advice be vacation is a really great (laughs) idea (laughs) no it is it's um, I I have learned and I share this with people all the time there Hopefully, there's always more to do. There's always the pile on the desk. There's always something on the to-do list. If you don't have it, then you're out of business or or you've passed away. It's never going to change. But I think that I I look at my younger self and how hard I worked and 
I didn't take time enough time off to refresh myself. Yeah. And now I do. I really know that if I can't go out there and you know, spirituality is very important to me and so if I can't go out there and do things that actually re-energize me, I can't be the best here. Mm. And does that mean that I haven't answered 25,000 emails? Yes, look at my phone. You can see there are 25,000 unread emails. <laughs> and that I'm a little behind on answering my desk phone. <laughs> but I just have to believe, and I tell people, please don't take it personally. Yeah. Uh, but I can't serve you well if I don't take care of myself. And I do have a, a child who mm. unexpectedly at the age of 12 said, I need more of you. Mm. It's tough. So, So it is. I look at my younger self and I'd be like... Take more time off and you know what? Don't take life so seriously. Yeah. And you already used that analogy earlier on, like in the event of an emergency on the airplane, yeah. you take care of yourself. You can't take care of other people mm-hmm. unless you're taking care of yourself. The better you take care of yourself, the better you can serve others. So mm-hmm. right on there. And uh, what is one question I could have asked you that would have provided more value to this interview? You know, I think that it's, to me, I like to talk about locally owned business. Mm. It's really important to me because I think we're at risk of losing it. In the midst of a, a booming economy here in Portland, uh, I have—I'm an optimistic person, but I have some concerns. Well, you know, I—I'm an optimistic person too, and from what I've viewed, I feel like we're swinging back towards going local. I think the more we educate ourselves, the more we realize mm-hmm. how how important it is that we have each other and mm-hmm. what kind of. Sp- species we are where mm-hmm. we need human connectivity mm-hmm. we need to fit our role mm-hmm. in society you can only do it on a small scale right and be truly happy um that's my opinion right and i do see a swing of the consumer going back to locally sourced mm-hmm. local uh not just because it's better for mm-hmm. you but people are mm-hmm. understanding what the impact mm-hmm. is uh so there's hope there i think there's hope i think where my concern is and again that's why you know with portland by local i'm I'm really pushing them that we need to take an advocacy role because and it's an amazing organization is what's going on in the old port as far as rents and nationals moving in and i i need to really make sure people know i'm not opposed to nationals but i think there are places for nationals to be yeah we've an amazing mall (laughs) Um, it is, I mean, it's, you want, you know, a major company, they're there and they're, we're one of the, I understand one of the few malls in the country that's actually doing very well, but our, our downtown. And I tell people, I really have this strong vision of what if we are like Atlantis and eventually we are underwater and they excavate, what will they know about us as a people? Yeah. And if everyone sees the same stores, they know nothing about us. And I want it that here... Portland, there's a reason that we go from 40% vacancy rate in 94 to booming economy now. It's because there's no other place like Portland, Maine. Mm. I do feel we're at risk of losing that. As nationals move in, rents go up. We don't have housing for our workforce. What's going on with housing here? You know, as more and more people are forced to move outside of the city, and I have staff who don't want to have cars. People will say, well, buy a car. Well, they, they are choosing not to own a vehicle. And our transportation system needs to improve. So I don't want to be a downer, but I'm more, this is an opportunity. This is a call to action. Yeah. Because what we have here is really incredible right now, everybody. But we have an infrastructure issue right now. And please communicate to the people who are making the decisions. Yep. We need workforce housing. 
we need better transportation <laughs> and we need to protect parts of our town so that local ownership can stay here. And I come back to your words, how we started off this interview, which is, you know, uh, if you see something that needs to change, somebody needs to do something about that. Yeah. So be the person that does something about it. We, we are the reason why things are the way they are. And it's only us. We can only change it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep that in front of mind. And, uh, I have one more question. I have to ask it because you mentioned it earlier too. And you said, what does success mean? So to you, what does success mean? I don't use the word. Okay. So isn't that funny? I think it's more fulfillment. Yeah. So would you say success is fulfillment? And probably I do. I think at the end of the day, when I go home and I feel that uh, we've made a difference and it can be something as simple as a customer will share a story of how someone here treated them well. Mm. When I have a staff member who may not even work here anymore. Some of my closest friends are people (laughs) who worked here years ago. And um, I had one who said, I said, why did you stay with us for so many years? Because it was just so funny. And she said, first of all, you you hired me when I'd been fired from my last job. (laughs) And it was because they made her do the opening shift and she was a musician. So she was set up to fail. But there was an incident where I'd had a bad day and I was tired and I was really, I don't know, I, I don't yell at people, but I was really short with her and I felt badly about it and I came back later and I apologized. And she said, I'd never had an adult tell me that they were wrong. Mm, wow. But I think so for me, it's fulfillment at the end of the day. Do I feel like I've done the best job I possibly could? Have I stayed true to our core values? And if I have fallen in any way, Rather than beating myself up, what can I learn from it? Because we have the gift of another day, hopefully, and I can do it better tomorrow. Beautiful. I love it. And uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent operator you admire and think would be a great guest mentor on the show? Like oh, there's so many amazing <laughs> people. I love, you know, it's funny. I think of, you know, we've got amazing wholesale accounts who are working so hard and you know, can it be within my industry? I mean, I have wholesale yeah, accounts that are crazy. I mean, Paul Harrison at Little Dog in Brunswick is amazing. He's hung in there through good time and bad. Tawny at Cafe Creme and Bath. Okay. You know, I call them our true, you know, our early believers in us. Okay. And they've stayed true. And I know that it, it's a hard industry to be in, but they have stayed in there and are constantly problem solving how they can do a better job. Can you drop those names on me one more time? Paul Harrison at Little Dog. Okay. And Tawny Schutz at Cafe Creme and Bath. Paul and Tanya. Tawny. 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 Look out. Paul I'm, and Tawny. <laughs> okay. Coming he's after coming you. after you. I'm going to call and let you know. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and let the folks at home know how we can connect with you. Um, if we want to come join your team or come mm-hmm. learn under you, what's the best way to connect? You know, I uh, stay tuned. I hope it'll be next month. The new website will launch. And it, because <laughs> if you look at the current website, um, the aging process has been very kind. Our pictures are very old. Um, I, but, but, but look and see. But come in and visit. Diamond Street's a really good place to come. There's always, I'm here or Alan's here. He's in Columbia right now or Kevin, our general manager. We're always open to answering questions, giving tours of the space, talking about the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so drop by. If we're busy, we'll let you know. Don't take it personally, but we'd love to talk to people. And also Facebook. I, I'm typically the one when people message. Okay. I'm the one who answers. Awesome. I'll have those links in the show notes. And, you know, Mary Allen, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us, uh, for staying true to your values. And for choosing to make an impact in your community and to uh, to know what it's all about. 
to be fulfilled. Beautiful stuff. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate you thinking about us. <laughs> My pleasure. We'll cut it there. Okay. Cheers. Mary Allen Lindman. Wow. Uh, you crushed it. She was such a great guest. Uh, and so many little lessons in this conversation today with Mary, uh, Mary Allen. Some of the, the, the ones that really stood out to me um, is what she said very early on when she said, you know, somebody needs to do something about this community. Somebody needs to step it up. And she had that aha moment, that realization that somebody is us. We all have this way of just pointing the finger and waiting for somebody to make change and to be better. Well, that's us. We we need to make the change we want to see. Like Gandhi says, we need to be the change in the world we want to see. Um, you can do that too. What does your community need? Be the change. Be something truly great. And I loved her clarity in her values in the, the company values and coffee by design, their values, and then just living those values, being transparent uh, and just knowing who you are and not swaying from who you are. You're not going to make everybody happy. Um, don't try to. I mean, we naturally want to, but you're better off knowing who you are, being true to yourself. And then there's going to be a demographic of people that resonate with who you are and then serve those people. You'll be much happier. And then uh, she also, you know, she hid this whole idea of supporting this community overseas, the struggling vill- these struggling villages overseas, uh, you know, giving them school systems and supporting these school systems and building schools. Like, I think that's what she said. But like, yeah, I, I get that. Like when you naturally want to do good, it feels slimy to promote the good things you do because you're not doing it for the press. You're doing it because it feels right. Uh, I think that kind of just ties back into being transparent. Know your values. Be transparent. Be an open book. Don't promote what you're doing, but just live what you're doing and, and allow a window into your life with social media and just kind of capture the story. Um, it's, it's a way to promote what you're doing without really shoving it down people's throats. Uh, and you're just being transparent. And I think the, the big lesson for me today um, is that whole idea of, of don't force growth. Uh, don't try to grow so big that you grow and it ends up hindering your ability to be great. Instead of focusing on growth and putting energy into growth, put energy into being great, into attracting great people onto yourself, into doing the work better than anybody else does it. And if you do the work better than anybody else and you focus on being a better version of yourself every day than you were the day before, opportunities are going to come to you. They're going to knock down your door. And that's these opportunities that will provide up, you know, not just for you, but for your people to grow into. Uh, And then you can create opportunities for other people. And that's what it's all about. Um, And she chose to take her time when opportunity presented itself and to say yes to only the right opportunities and uh, to grow slowly and to focus on being great. And I think that's the great lesson today. The big lesson today is just focus on being great. Awesome stuff. And like always, guys, please do connect with me. Reach out to me on social media, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. And uh, email Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Guys, I love connecting with my listeners. Tell me who 
inspires you. Tell me who is killing it in your community. Who's the mentor in your community that all other restaurant owners go to for advice? I want to get that person on the show. I want to learn from them. I want to capture their story in their advice and mentorship so we can all learn together. And don't forget, um, I love those one-on-one chats. So you can head over to restaurantunstoppable.one-on-one. Set up a free 15-minute one-on-one. Let's do some brainstorming. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but I know somebody who does, and I can point you in the right direction. Plus those one-on-one chats. And I just love connecting with my listeners and, and hearing what your challenges are. And that might be an opportunity for me to go out and create some content that will help you all. All right, guys. That's it. Talking way too much. Uh, this was a great episode. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.